welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hi, Kevin, Property Soldier here, and welcome to this episode of the Service Accommodation Property Podcast. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about serviced accommodation management, so setting yourself up as a SA management company, and why that is such a win-win situation for landlords. Now, later on in this episode, I'm going to be talking about capital allowances and Section 24, and that is pretty much the biggest reason why, well, in fact, there's lots of good reasons, but that's a really, really big reason why it creates a win-win situation for landlords. So I'm going to talk about that more later on. But first of all, I just want to touch on what service accommodation management is. So in a minute, I'll talk about um, rent to SA and purchase for SA and buy-to-let conversion into SA. But Serviced accommodation management, what is that? Well, ultimately, we all know the the concept where a letting agent uh, takes a a property and manages it as a buy-to-let and finds a buy-to-let tenant. Well, if you imagine that type of scenario, but the service accommodation management company is going to take the property in a similar way from a landlord, but use it as serviced accommodation and run it as serviced accommodation instead and the way it's it's typically different to oh it's different to a buy to let letting agent in that a buy to let letting agent would typically just give a fixed amount to the landlord so once the buy to let letting agent takes out their their fee their management fee then the landlords are going to end up with a set amount each month but ultimately the letting agent is going to bill the landlord um, for certain other costs, um, so maintenance costs and and the like, and then um, deduct that from the rent that the tenant gives the letting agent. Everything gets deducted and then the landlord gets what is left. So that's a comparison. That's the buy-to-let letting agent. But with the service combination management company, how does that work? Well, the management company has taken the property over and the management company would typically use a management agreement with the landlord. Okay, so similar type of agreement that a letting agent would use. Well, instead of that, it's a management, an SA management agreement that the uh, management company uses and the, the landlord would sign. And ultimately, the management company then advertises the property as available on the OTA, so booking.com and Airbnb, etc., as well as getting direct bookings, as well as driving traffic to uh, the management company's own website and Facebook page and all of that stuff. But ultimately, that's how to get the bookings. And so the money comes in and the management company is taking the money. And so let's let's work on, uh, say, £2,500 turnover, which is not untypical of a service accommodation unit. Um, in terms of total bookings in a month, um, you could realistically um, expect two and a half grand 
worth of turnover. Now, I'm talking now about a property that is right for serviced accommodation. So there's there's plenty of properties that work well as service accommodation and there's plenty that don't. So an SA management company worth their salt would actually only take on a property that is going to work and going to generate enough bookings for service accommodation. So that that sort of stuff in terms of assessing demand for SA, I cover that in other podcasts. I cover that on my, my training courses, et cetera. But um, so we're just going to make the assumption that the property works as serviced accommodation. And so two and a half grand's worth of turnover coming in. Now, what does the SA management company do with that two and a half grand? Now then, typically um, an, an SA management company is going to charge a percentage of turnover and 15 to 20% for full management is, is pretty normal. And now an awful lot, and it seems to be a bit of an industry standard of, of 20% is normal. Um for uh, charging as a management fee, and it's a percentage of turnover. So clearly that's going to create profit for the, or at least income for the management company of £500. So 20% of 2,500 pounds And that is what the SA management uh, company will earn. And they obviously pay that and then into their bank and they pay tax on that income. Now, also out of that turnover, the SA management company is going to then pay the the uh, OTAs and to pay the booking.com fees, etc. So they normally get invoice afterwards. And so that needs to then get paid out of the turnover. And also the SA management company is going to then pay the cleaning and the meet and greet and uh, any maintenance uh, costs that need to be paid. And that then comes out of uh, the remainder of the income. And then what's left gets paid to the landlord or the owner. And so the landlord, this is the, the SA management model, the landlord is then going to pay his or own, his or her own bills. Uh, so um, you know, mortgage, etc. But also um, normal utility bills. Okay, So the landlord pays that. And banks the remainder of the cash. Now, typically what what is now, the situation that is now created is that the landlord's income is going to be fluctuating and also the SA management company's income is going to be fluctuating. And then typically this income is going to be seasonal. And so we recommend that people uh, source property that has all year round demand for service accommodation. And so, you know, People need to work in your town and your city all year round. And instead of staying in hotels, they can stay with you. So target that sort of guest demographic or your guest avatar accordingly. But no matter where you are, in the summer, there is also more demand for serviced accommodation because you've also got holiday makers and people visiting family and friends, etc. in the summer months, uh, visiting your town and city. And that just drives up demand for um, serviced accommodation, and when there's more demand for something, the price of that thing gets uh, bigger, or uh, the uh, the price of it is greater, and so that drives up prices in the summer, and therefore the turnover for serviced accommodation goes up in the summer months, and so the SA management company is going to earn more money in the summer months, and so is the landlord because it's all a percentage of turnover. So that's in big handfuls how um, SA management works. But what I want to get to here is actually how do you get to the situation where you are experienced and competent 
in-service accommodation before you actually set yourself up as an SA management company? Because I see it time and time again where people are getting into service accommodation management and then I hear landlords complaining that they're not earning enough money from the property because the SA management company has not got enough bookings in for them and it's not worth their while. And then some SA management companies, you know, I, I personally have an issue with this, but they're not then releasing the landlords from the contract, even though the landlords are losing money. And where I think it's all it all went wrong because the SA management company should have had a good look at whether or not the property would work as service accommodation in the first place. And then based on the knowledge and experience said yes or no to that landlord and or said to the landlord in order for this property to work as service accommodation, you need to go away and get X, Y and Z done before we take it over. Um, but for some reason, this this seems to be causing an issue. And that's why the, the point of this podcast, um, the point of this podcast is for people who are considering getting to SA management, I would suggest it's not a good situation to be in if you have got landlords complaining to you that they're not earning enough money. I would much rather be set up as an essay management company where my landlords are happy. And that's what I personally think we should all be looking to do in property is create win-win situations for everybody. And that's why I do service combination because it is possible to create win-win situations for yourself as an investor, for your landlords, and also for your guests who are saving money on hotels and getting much better experience in your service accommodation units. So that's that's the uh, best scenario I can think of, and that's that's the point of this particular podcast. So how do you get yourself competent before getting into SA management? Well, there's different types of serviced accommodation and how you can get into serviced accommodation. And ultimately, you know, you need to be able to do your due diligence on what works in service accommodation before actually going into any of the different acquisition strategies. So I'm going to talk about rent to SA first. Now, how do you get do your due diligence? Well, there's a, I've, some of my podcasts cover this, not in detail. Um, I offer training on this. And if you want to actually learn how to do it properly, then you should get properly trained. But you do your due diligence and then you might decide to get into rent to serviced accommodation where you rent the property and then you operate it as serviced accommodation. So totally different to serviced accommodation management, but there's a point in this. You can get proficient in serviced accommodation by doing something like rent to SA before you move into SA management because by the time you get into SA management, you understand the market. You understand how service accommodation works. You understand the likely turnover for a property and you've tweaked and optimize efficiencies, and you've got efficiencies of scale, you've got all your team in place, your cleaning, your laundry, your maintenance, etc., all of your power team, and you get proficient and good at service combination before you get into SA management. So let's talk about rent to SA first then. You should set up a limited company to operate your rent to SA, and everything goes through your limited company. And why is this important? All of the money goes through your limited company. Your guests sign your limited company's terms and conditions. And the reason, massive, the biggest reason why this is important is that you're going to have limited liability protection. You're going to have limited liability insurance. So that if one of your guests hurt themselves in one of your service accommodation units, they are going to be able to claim off your insurance. They're not going to have to go after you and all of your assets in order to, you know, 
pay their medical bills, etc. So that's that's a really important thing that I see people getting wrong time and time again. So set up a limited company and operate your service combination via your limited company. You're going to negotiate the rent and the deposit with doing Rent to SA. You're going to need short stay holiday let type insurance okay so that's really really important so yes you're going to have um, public liability insurance you may also need professional indemnity insurance so just speak to a broker about that but you definitely need property specific insurance as well short stay holiday let type insurance and you speak to your broker who will tailor the right insurance product for you are you renting the property furnished yes or no well if it's a yes it's the Furniture has to be suitable. And if it's a no, then you have to obviously furnish the property. Once it's all furnished and looking lovely, get good photos done. A good photo, good photos, it might cost you 100, 150 quid to get a photographer in to take your photos for you. And over the course of a year, that's going to create thousands of pounds worth of extra revenue. When I see properties listed on Booking.com and Airbnb, and I can see dark, dingy iPhone photos. I'm just thinking, how much money are you losing by not having nice, bright photos done? It's just crazy. People are much more likely to book a property if the photos look nice because the photos make the place look brighter and cleaner and more attractive for your guests. And so get good photos done. You will make more money. So list it on all the OTAs. I really recommend that you list on booking.com and airbnb and only wait uh, before going on to the wait before going on to the other otas wait until you've got at least five reviews on booking.com because once you've got five uh, reviews that's when people who are searching and looking on booking.com can see your average review score so if you're getting a, a good average review score and over nine is very good then people are more likely to book you. So it's actually a race to get to your five reviews. As you know, obviously important that you're getting good reviews as well. It's a race to be getting your five reviews. And also on Airbnb, it's 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 beneficial if you've got several reviews. Um over four and a half is out, you know, it's out of five. So on on um Airbnb over four and a half is is good. And so once you've got several good reviews, then subsequent people are more likely to book you. So what I would advise is you don't spread yourself too thin and plaster yourself across all the different OTAs, you know, hotels.com, late rooms, Trivago, um, all of those type portals, HomeAway, Expedia. I, I wouldn't go across all of them until you have got your at least five reviews in from Airbnb and Booking.com because you're going to get the majority of your bookings in from those guys, especially Booking.com. It is areas specific. So some areas seem to lean more towards Airbnb. Most areas though, um, 90% of bookings come in via booking.com. So get yourself listed on the OTAs, uh, but don't spread yourself too thin. Um, I don't need to labor that point. And create your own website, get your own website created where you can also list your properties on your website. And you know, I'll talk about a channel manager in, in a minute, but you list, you link your own website to your channel manager, and this is how you can get direct bookings and therefore not be paying the OTA fee. So if you get a booking in from booking.com, um, booking.com are going to charge 15% of that um, booking and they'll invoice you retrospectively. And so whatever you got in via um, booking.com, you're going to have to pay 
15% of that back to them, which is fair. You know, they're spending millions and millions of pounds on their marketing, driving traffic to their website. And so when they're getting you bookings, you only need to pay them a, a commission retrospectively after money's hit your bank account. So that's pretty cool. But, you know, in business, we're trying to optimize um, efficiencies. And so if you can start getting more and more direct bookings to your own website, then clearly you're going to be able to make uh, more profit for you and your business. So yeah, have your own website and then have your own um, payment or merchant account set up as well. So we use Stripe. Some people use WorldPay. I, I wouldn't particularly advise using PayPal um, because A, you pay more money to PayPal, a, PayPal, a percentage of the um, the bookings that you get in. It's a higher fee. And then also chargebacks are an issue with PayPal. I hear lots of people um, who PayPal are taking the money back just because the guest says they didn't stay, even though they can prove that the guest did stay, but PayPal are just still returning the money back to the guest. So my advice is, is just use Kigo or WellPay or something like that, um, or those one of those two, uh, I would suggest, in order to be taking uh, your money for your bookings. And obviously, you link your merchant account to your website as well. Um, so channel managers then. So channel manager, really important. I would suggest you use a channel manager. If you've only got one unit, one SA, then it's still often beneficial to have a channel manager because if you want to list on more than one platform, more than one OTA and also on your own website, then if you don't have a channel manager, you're in danger of getting a double booking. And then if you get a double booking, so if, you know if you get a booking in from Airbnb and booking.com for the same period, well, then you it's up to you to pay to accommodate that guest in a hotel or in a uh, another serviced accommodation unit that is the same, as good, if not better than yours. And that can work out to be expensive for you and actually cost you more than the actual booking that you are able to accept. So it's definitely not worth getting a double booking. Some people, they will list um, on an Airbnb, inquiries only, and they'll be instant book because you have to be instant book on booking.com. Well, that's fine, but it's 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 still going to cost you money, in my opinion, because a lot of people don't want to faff about asking, inquiring on Airbnb. They just want to book. And so you're going to lose people that just want instant book. And, and if they can't instant book, they might well go to another listing and go instant book on that one. So best solution is just have a channel manager that can accept a booking in and then block off your availability for that booking on the other OTAs, including your own website. So strongly suggest using a channel manager. We use Kigo. And so Kigo, um, you know, there's no limit to how many properties you can list with Kigo. It's the same price, whereas other channel managers um, start off cheap. But then when you start listing more and more properties, it gets more and more expensive. And in our, we haven't used any of the other channel managers. So we don't know. We haven't got experience of the other channel managers. We just have to you know, gauge um, the feedback that we get from different operators. And it seems to be um, most people are telling us that they um, find Kigo less problematic than some of the other uh, channel managers. And we hardly ever, in fact, I haven't heard of someone saying that they've had a double booking via Kigo. And so a double booking is actually going to be the biggest hassle you're ever going to have. And just one double booking in a year could prove to be very expensive. And the money you think you've saved on a cheaper channel manager can actually turn out to not be a saving for you. So we decided to go immediately into Kigo because we knew we wanted to grow a large service combination business. And, you know, 
you get what you pay for. And so we use Kigo, but um, there obviously are other channel managers available. And some people do, you know, sing the praises of their channel managers. So that's absolutely fine. Um, but uh, one thing on channel managers, you can actually, you know, get um, a consultation with with the different channel managers and sort start making a list of all the things that they are offering and then compare the lists versus the price of what they're offering. And then maybe ask for some feedback. You can go onto different um, Facebook forums and ask for feedback from different people and what what is their experience on using the different channel managers. Um, That's probably what I would advise you do before you make a commitment because the problem that I hear time and time again when people decide they've had enough and they're fed up with a current channel manager is it's a hell of a lot of hassle moving from one channel manager to another channel manager. So it might be worthwhile just just picking a good one to start with and, and just sticking with that channel manager. Now, getting back to operating your service combination business, you should be retargeting your guests. Now, quite often, this retargeting can take place on check-in. Now, we are advocates. We don't always do meet and greet, but whenever we can, we do meet and greet um, our guests because one of the conversations is where are you staying or how long are you in town for? And often guests book for just their first five days or week via you know booking.com or Airbnb. And then they want to check the place out before deciding on whether to extend or book for longer. Well, what you can be doing is saying to uh, your guests, um, why don't you book with us direct? There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. It's totally allowed. And and so you can say, book with us direct and we'll give you a discount on whatever you paid for for this booking, the nightly rate. We can we can offer a discount on that nightly rate if you come direct to our website. And so you're going to be saving on the OTA fees if you do that. And we've had guests say, oh, yeah, well, we're actually probably going to be here for the next two, three, four, five, six months. And you can actually then get direct bookings and, and just think of the extra profit you are making when you get those direct bookings. And you're only going to be doing weekly turns from then on in and uh, a light clean, changing the the, the bedding, uh, changing the towels, etc. And a light clean each week and just with no voids, just think of the extra profit that will make you. And so a lot of people shun meet and greet, but the extra money that we've made because of meet and greet uh, pays for itself tenfold. OK, more than that. OK, so it's well worth it. Um, to be doing meet and greet when you're going to every now and then get the uh, direct bookings for long periods of time. Uh, I'll talk about the other advantages of meet and greet um, in a different episode, but um, that's one of the things you can be doing is retargeting your guests on check-in, but also after they've stayed with you, you can be um, contacting your guests, offering them discounts and promotions, etc., for coming back to stay with you. So that's that's a really cool thing to be doing. Now then, that's rent to SA in general, but let's talk about rent to SA via a landlord. So you can be uh, targeting landlords directly. Where do you find these landlords? Well, landlords are advertising their properties to let on Gumtree, Open Rent, UPAD. So online, they're even doing it on Facebook these days. And so you can be uh, contacting landlords uh, via these uh, portals. Uh, you can also be doing your own Facebook marketing, um, talking about the benefits of serviced accommodation or any social media marketing, talking about the benefits of serviced accommodation to landlords, and you can actually get landlords coming directly to you because of that. And typically, if you're going to be doing rent to SA via a landlord, then you take the property on a management agreement. So 
The same as if you're doing service accommodation management, but just straight rent to SA, you also use a management agreement. But in the management agreement, you're just going to put a fixed amount of rent in. You can set it up so it's a sort of hybrid between straight rent and service accommodation management, where you can also um, share a percentage of the turnover or a percentage of the profit so that the landlord's um, income is fluctuating. Um, you can do that. But let's just talk about straight rent to SA via a uh, landlord. So yeah, use a management agreement and take the, the property on. Now, we'd suggest take it on for a year, at least a year. If you're uber confident, you're really confident that it's, the property is definitely going to work as service combination, then you might consider taking it for two years or three years. But you should have a break clause in, and we recommend a six-month break clause just in case um, something might happen to you or your business or that something significant in the marketplace or something like that, and you could actually decide to give the property back. Um, but yeah, take it on a management agreement, have a break clause in place. Now, rent to SA via a letting agent is different, uh, different conversations to have with landlords versus letting agents, but all of the above type things apply, but take the property on a company let agreement. Now, a company let agreement is what most letting agents will have in their possession. And typically when you're speaking to a letting agent and you say, look, will the landlord, I'm interested in that property, will the landlord do a company let? The answer is yes. Then ultimately you ask to use their company let agreement. Don't go down the route of, you know, dusting off your agreement that you got when you attended a course or something like that, because they're going to be less <laughs> willing to do that. They probably had their own lawyers draw up their own company let agreement, and that's how they're going to feel um, safe using their own um, paperwork. And so ask to use their company let agreement. Now, typically what you're going to need to do on a company let agreement, I get a lot of people go, oh, no, you can't use company let agreements because it talks about using the property for your employees. Well, yes, that's correct. And so therefore that needs to be changed and you need to change employees to your guests or your clients. And by the time you come to signing the company let agreement, you've explained to the letting agent how you're going to be using the property. And so that's not going to come as a surprise to change that one little bit in the company let agreement. And that's what we do. And that's what we teach people on our training courses. Okay, so that's how you take the property via a uh, letting agent. Now, a couple of things that you also need to be aware of with letting agents is some letting agents, bless them, don't really understand the difference between a service accommodation and a HMO. And they think that if there's more than two family units staying then, or more than one family unit staying, so two or more, then it becomes a default HMO. Well, no, it doesn't because it's not their principal prime residence, so therefore it cannot be a HMO. Service accommodation sits outside of the Housing Act. Um, it's, it's, it's The income from service accommodation is trading income, whereas HMOs and buy-to-lets, that's investing income. And so it's totally different. And so therefore, it's not HMO. It's no one's principal prime residence. And if you can explain that to the letting agent, then that's great. Sometimes letting agents still need a little bit more convincing of that. They don't want to take your word for it. Well, what you might want to do is email the HMO officer, um, explain how you intend using a uh, property as furnished holiday let or a service accommodation and just get them to respond saying, can you just confirm that therefore it is not a HMO? And they will reply as long as they know what they're doing, <laughs> that it's not a HMO. And then all you do is you forward that email to the letting agent. So that's one of the ways that we've used in order to um, overcome the objection with the letting agent without 
telling the letting agent that they're wrong because they don't like that type of approach. So that's that's a good way of um, getting around that situation. Then the other typical thing that we hear letting agents say is that they need to know every single one of your guests who it is coming and going from the property because they're worried about the right to rent checks. Well, you just need to explain to the letting agent that you are going to be the tenant. Your company is going to be the tenant. When they say, when you're viewing the property, who is going to be living at the property, who's going to be the tenant, you say, I am. My company is going to be the tenant. And therefore, you just need to do your referencing on me and my company. Uh, You don't need to worry about the uh, guests because you don't need to worry about right to rent checks because it's not their principal prime residence. We keep coming back to this. If it's not their principal prime residence, therefore, it doesn't sit inside the housing app. Therefore, right to rent checks don't apply. So if you can just get that in, it's always worthwhile getting that in before they tell you that they need to know all of the uh, comings and goings of the property. Because once they say that to you, sometimes they're unwilling to budge. So if you can just stop them saying that in the first place, then that's the best way of doing it. So that's uh, dealing with letting agents. And ultimately, you know, I was chatting to um, a lady who's been on one of my training courses um, and she's now got very, very short succession. She's got three properties from the very um, same letting agent. And so um, I've actually spoken to her this morning and and she's uh, volunteered to uh, be interviewed for this podcast. So I'll I'll get her in um, to interview her and she can give you her own experiences of renting property from letting agents. And she's now got three from the same letting agent. Why? Because she's their best tenant. The properties are kept in show home condition. She's paying the rent on time. When they're doing their inspections, they're they're scoring the property as excellent on their inspection reports. Now, she's probably the only tenant of theirs where the properties are in that condition when they're doing their inspections, because we all know how buy-to-let tenants um, live and Get, you know, some of them are reasonably clean, some of them are not, but your service accommodation units are kept in show home condition and any maintenance gets fixed immediately. And so that's the perfect scenario for a letting agent. So if you start showing the letting agent that that's how um, easy their life is going to be, then guess what? They're going to be incentivized to offer you more. So that's how you get more from letting agents is you just be their best tenant. Now with mortgages, Um, You need to ensure that the uh, mortgage allows serviced accommodation use. And so you either get permission or you switch uh, products. And there's plenty of products available for service accommodation now. If you're asking for permission, then you need to um, ask if the uh, mortgage company is happy to do a company let or are they happy to allow furnished holiday let for a period of time. You might be in between tenants. The landlord might be in between tenants. The landlord might be worrying about paying the bills because no rent coming in, mortgage to pay, bills to pay. And so if the conversation is, look, it would help me out if I can do furnished holiday let for a period of time until I can find another tenant, then guess what? They've just given permission um, for you to do serviced accommodation. And so that's a conversation to have with the lender. If it's still a no, then just swap um, to a SA specific mortgage. There's more and more out there now. I just heard recently um, Santander offering, not Santander, Principality, beg your pardon, offering 1.9% interest only, 75% loan to value SA mortgages. So absolutely um, either get permission or swap. Now then, 
Buy-to-let conversion. This is another avenue into service combination. Now, I'll, I'm going to get to the point in a minute. These are all the different things that you can be doing in order to get yourself experienced and knowledgeable in service combination before you go into SA management. Though all of the above stuff applies, you need to furnish the property. If it used to be a buy-to-let, you need to furnish it or upgrade the existing furniture so that it's suitable for service combination. And also, if it's got a mortgage on, seek the relevant permissions. So that's buy-to-let conversion into service accommodation. You might then decide to get into purchase into service accommodation. So we've done this and we are cash flowing on one particular unit, £2,500. And because it was buy, refurbish, refinance, we've actually got no money in that property. And so £2,500, the return on investment is infinite because there's no money in the property because it's a buy, refurbish, refinance deal. So This is just another string to your bow. Or you could be purchasing property that needs nothing done to it. So it could be good to go um, fully. It could be a new build or refurbished uh, property, good to go and ready to use as service combination. You're going to get, if it works as service combination, you're going to get a really good uh, return on your investment. And then maybe in later years when uh, capital appreciation has taken place, you could refinance it and pull money out in that sense. But in the meantime, you can be purchasing property and earning really good income from a property with purchase to SA. Now, what is the point of all this? The point of all this is once you, there's there's multiple different ways of doing it. You can do rent to SA via letting agents, rent to SA via landlords, buy to let conversion, purchase to SA. And then you understand how SA works in your town and your city. Then you can set yourself up, and this is what I think everybody should do first, is then set yourself up as an SA management company. Now, if you are an SA management company and you are offering landlords a fluctuating income from their properties, then you can definitely help the landlords avoid Section 24 and claim capital allowances. So in other podcasts, I'm talking about Section 24. I'm talking about capital allowances. So just briefly, Section 24 is the anti-landlord tax, whereby landlords are no longer able to offset their mortgage interest against their rent. And that's going to create a hell of a lot of higher rate taxpayers. Um, The NLA have predicted 600,000 higher rate taxpayers because of Section 24. And that's that's going to cause an awful lot of landlords to be extremely fed up with operating their properties as buy-to-let. They might be getting tenant problems. They might have voids. Um, and they're now going to start getting hit significantly for more tax. And so if you take their property over as serviced accommodation, then if it's deemed that they are owning and operating furnished holiday let, then they can avoid Section 24. And so that's a massive incentive. I actually, you know, with Section 24 on capital allowances, I call it the perfect storm, the perfect storm. And so the other uh, point is that capital allowances. Now, capital allowances are whereby a owner of a property and the property is being used as serviced accommodation can claim capital allowances on the property. And a typical property could be 40, 50,000 pounds worth of capital allowances can be claimed once a property is used as serviced accommodation. So what does that mean? Is that the owner, let's say it's a 50,000 pound claim, the owner can then earn 50,000 pounds tax-free. So when it comes to you set up as an SA management company, 
The important thing to note is that once Section 24 is fully in, by year 2021, tax year 2021, it's going to be fully in. That's when there's going to be an awful lot of landlords seeking to avoid Section 24. And then when you tie in capital allowances into that, there's going to be absolutely no problem with you getting properties um, to manage. Okay, there really isn't. The landlords are going to be falling over themselves to give you their properties, especially when you're guaranteeing to keep them in show home condition. And ideally, if the property works as service accommodation, they're going to be earning more money than they would as buy to let. But also they're going to be able to earn more money and pay less tax and have no tenants. So that's that's why service accommodation works brilliantly well. Now, I just wanted that hopefully you found this podcast useful. I just wanted to talk about why I think it's important to understand service accommodation before you get into um, operating property as a service accommodation management company. I'm going to be talking in more detail on some of the other uh, subjects in other podcasts, but that's uh, I've made my point, I hope. And so if you found that useful, um, that's great. And, uh, you know, if you want to share this podcast with other people, if you're finding the content useful, then share the podcast with other people. And I'm going to wrap it up there. So thanks for listening, everybody. And as I always say, here's to your success in serviced accommodation. Thanks for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. If you have any suggestions on future content for this podcast, please message Kevin via his Facebook page, Property Soldier.